Welcome on back to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast, everybody. Happy Monday to you, Hayden Grove, along with Chris Fedor, as always. And Chris, I hope you had a good weekend. Obviously, a lot of people here in Northeast Ohio probably did not, <laughs> considering the debacle on the football field in Baltimore. But uh, we are a Cavs podcast, so we don't have to talk about it much. Thank God. I like how you say probably. I think we might want to we might want to shift that to definitely. Definitely fine. We'll we'll definitely you know it was it was a definitely not a good day for most people in Northeast Ohio yesterday. Um, just a ridiculous ridiculous game in so many aspects, and uh, the Indians continue to lose too. They're they've lost six in a row. So the Cavaliers, as you mentioned, as yes. you mentioned, the Cavaliers are probably playing better than anyone in Northeast Ohio, and they haven't <laughs> played a game. They haven't played a game in six months. That's right. The Cavs haven't lost since March. So, so they're truly um, ahead of the class right now. But I, like I said, we're not going to talk Browns today. That's for another podcast for Mary Kay and the gang. And they do a great job. So go check out the uh, Orange and Brown or is, is Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I always get that mixed up, but they do a great job yep. with Dan and Ellis and Scott. So go check them out. I'm sure they'll have plenty to say following yesterday's debacle. But anyway, um, so last week, if you listened to the podcast last week, and we hope you did. Um, we kind of ended the show talking about um, someone who's been near and dear to the hearts of Cavs fans uh, in terms of the NBA draft, and that is none other than Dayton's very own Obi Toppin. Now, we have discussed Obi Toppin plenty in the past. We've discussed him as a not the best fit for the Cavaliers, maybe because of his size, because of his position, because of where they are in the draft. We've talked a lot about, you know, yes, he's an, he's he went to Dayton, and yes, he was like the player of the year last year, but just the fit really doesn't really work for Cleveland. But, Chris, you mentioned last week that you might have been, you might have heard that maybe the Cavs are higher on him than you thought that they were. Yeah, so that's the vibe that I get. Um, look, a big part of that, though, Aiden, is just like the Cavs' approach from the very beginning when it comes to the NBA draft is best player available regardless of position. We spent months talking about whether they would use, if they got the first overall pick or the second overall pick, if they would use that on LaMelo Ball, despite the fact that they've used back-to-back first-rounders on guards, Colin Sexton, Darius Garland. And they have Kevin Porter Jr., who a lot of people inside the organization view as a two as opposed to a three. So if they were fine with somebody like LaMelo Ball, and I know LaMelo and Obi Toppin, they're in different tiers, but if they were fine with a guard, given how much they've already invested in the backcourt. Um, they're going to be fine with a big as well. The Cavs are going to lean on best player available. Now, look, if these guys are really, really close, if they're in the same tier, I would say that the tiebreaker would probably go to a wing, like Denny Avdia or Devin Vassell or uh, Isaac Okoro. Um but but Obi Toppin, based on conversations that I continue to have with people around the league and people inside the organization, like I I think I dismissed him too soon because he is firmly on the radar of the Cavs if they have the fifth overall pick. Because at that point, they could simply point to him and say he's the best player available um, of of any prospect right now. So, but we, we both kind of said that when we asked, you know, when we were talking about the NBA draft lottery and what we thought and where, where we thought the Cavs were going to go, you specifically yep. mentioned that that was kind of a nightmare scenario for you where Obi Toppin yep. falls to the Cavs at, at that position. So, I mean, I know you're hearing that, um, you know, the, the Cavaliers might be, if he's there, they might be, you know, 
interested in taking him. I mean, is that something that you're still kind of backing away from if you're the Cavs? I still would. Um, but the more that it's explained to me, I at least understand their thinking. I don't agree with their thinking. And I think those are two completely different things. If it was me making the choice, I would not take Obi at five. I don't think there are a lot of teams out there that should take Obi in the top five. Um, I, I get the allure to him. He's really athletic. He can run the court. He can pick and pop. He's got crazy bounce to finish around the rim. Um, offensively, he's probably the most polished player in the draft at this point. He's also 22 years old. He's further along in the developmental curve. So it's almost unfair to compare him and what he did at Dayton with somebody like James Wiseman, where you're drafting him based on solely what he will become in the future, not what he is right now. And that's what's so difficult about an NBA draft, Hayden. It's so much a projection. And, and there's more known about Obi Toppin than there is about Wiseman. There's more known about Obi Toppin than there is about Avdia. Um, so I get the allure from that standpoint. But, but I just think the Cavs are in a different kind of position. They're, they're the fifth pick in the draft. They wished it would have been higher. Fans wished it would have been higher. I think they have to take a swing. And I just don't see Obi having the same kind of upside capability as some of these other guys. Um, he's a high floor, low upside guy to me. And for the Cavs, I don't think that's what they should be looking for. I think they should try and swing for the fences. Um, but the more that it's explained to me, it at least makes sense because here's the way that they would explain it. Um, beyond the fact that they would consider him the best player available at five, depending on how the first four picks go, he would be viewed as a long-term replacement for Kevin Love. Kevin Love is on the wrong side of 30. Kevin Love deals with injuries. Kevin Love is always on the trade block. There are incessant trade rumors about Kevin. And there's nobody around the NBA uh, that believes that he's going to finish his contract in Cleveland. Um, so not only could he be the long-term replacement for Kevin, but he could fill some minutes at the five as like a small ball five in case Tristan Thompson leaves this offseason, in case Andre Drummond leaves next offseason. And to go back to Kevin Love, I'm told that there is already a plan in place to keep Kevin from playing back-to-backs in 2020-2021. So we're probably looking at Kevin Love playing 55 to 65 of the 82 games in the regular season if the NBA implements a full regular season. So, you know, you're going to need some help in the front court, especially if Tristan Thompson leaves in free agency. I'm not saying that he's going to, but in terms of team planning, these are some of the things that the Cavs really have to um, keep in consideration. So you're just, you've discussed bigs and, you know, the way that the Cavaliers are trending. You know, they've, they've obviously brought in a couple bigs. And, you know, I think that we've both agreed that the biggest need for the Cavs is definitely a swing, an, a three. Um, you know, I, we've known, the names you mentioned, Isaac Okoro, uh, Devin Vassell. But you spoke recently this week with none other than Andy Enfield, Enfield, excuse me, and not Enfield, um, who is the coach of um, Mr. Okongwu from yep. USC, one of the top, um, one of the top, you know, prospects in this draft, Onyeka Okongwu, and Onyeka Okongwu, six foot nine, two forty five, out of USC, one of the, like I said, one of the better prospects in this draft. So, 
you know, last week you talked to Leonard, Leonard Hamilton about Devin Vassell. This week you talked to mm-hmm. uh, Andy Enfield. Um, would the Cavaliers go, I mean, would they go in that direction? Would they go with the Kongwu? Would they go with a, you know, kind of a four or five guy, a bigger guy and like that? And uh, what did Enfield have to say about Big O? So I get the sense, Hayden, that the Cavs view the front, front court as not a problem area, but an area that they need to address long term. Does that make sure. sense? Yes. Like, like well, if, of course if they, they do. But but it's I think it's more pressing than a lot of people feel like it is. Um, in fact, I would go as far as to say that unless Lamelo Ball or Anthony Edwards falls to five, like they are not taking a guard. Right. I would not see that. Like. Tyrese Halliburton to them, I don't think they could justify. The way that they would say it is that that guy in the future, we don't believe is better than Darius Garland, Kevin Porter Jr., or Colin Sexton. Right. Um, When it comes to, like, Okongwu or Obi Toppin, or even if James Wiseman fell to five, I think the Cavs would say, in the future— one of those guys could be better than Larry Nance Jr., a guy that we have invested in, um, a guy that we really like. So to me, um, a big is is right up there, not neck and neck with wing, but very, very close in terms of the priority list. And it's because of the things that I said. Tristan Thompson is 50-50. Andre Drummond beyond this season is probably 50-50. He could walk in free agency in 2021, or the Cavs could flip him before he becomes a free agent in 2021. So what looks like a position of strength right now, because the Cavs have committed to Kevin Love, and they've committed to Larry Nance Jr., and the belief is that Drummond is going to opt into his contract, like that's only for this year. So if we start projecting forward beyond this year, Ante Zizic is going to be gone. Tristan Thompson could be gone. And Andre Drummond could be gone. And then you're staring at a front court of what? Larry Nance Jr. and Kevin Love? You know, obviously bigs are obviously bigs are easy to acquire in the NBA. That's just the reality of it. They're the most accessible commodity. But when the Cavs start looking towards the future, they see the possibility of having a very, very thin front court. And if they're sitting there at five, they're not going to dismiss somebody like Big O or Toppin or Wiseman because for this upcoming season, those minutes may be hard to come by. This is still a big picture planning stage that the team is in, even though they want to get better next season. With the Kung Lu specifically, I mean, you know, that's a guy we have, we've talked a little bit about, but I mean, he kind of seems yeah. like he might fall outside of the Cavs range in terms of. You know, he's probably a top 10, maybe not a top five pick, um, but certainly interesting nonetheless. And from, you know, from what he did at USC and um, I just I was just wondering what your conversation was like with, you know, with the coach and, and you know, why he be, he might be a fit in Cleveland. Yeah. So first he um, he raved about Big O as the person and yeah. most people that I have talked to about Big O that that's where they start. He's just a really likable, really vanilla guy. He didn't get caught up in the hoopla of playing with the Ball brothers in high school. Um, He plays for his brother. Uh, His brother had a tragic death in a skateboarding accident. 
that really um, matured Onyeka really quickly, um, really gave him something to play for. So he plays for his older brother. So just like the kind of background that he has, the kind of upbringing that he has, he's all about the team. He's all about winning. Um, he he's about the right things, I guess, is the way that Andy Enfield described it. He didn't care about where he was placed in terms of draft boards. The draft conversation, according to Enfield, never came up until after the season, even though Enfield felt like once they returned back from an overseas trip uh, in preseason, that Akangu was probably a one-and-done type player. Um, it never distracted him. It never took away from the team goals of USC. He always bought into the program. He always asked coach, what can I do? One of the funniest things that Enfield told me that I'm going to write about is that, you know, most guys in practice, they talk a lot of trash, right? They'll swear, they'll get in the face of, of their teammate because it's an inter-squad scrimmage. A Kongu's version of trash talk is smiling at people. <laughs> like, I mean that could rub like I mean honestly I've seen enough athletes that could rub the yeah, wrong way. <laughs> it can rub them the wrong way. What the hell are you smiling the, about? Right. But it's just the kind of person that he is. He always has a positive attitude. He's always smiling. Um that's just he's he's so thrilled to be playing basketball. Um right. so that I thought was one of the hilarious nuggets that I got from Enfield. Um and, and one of the things that he said to me that really resonated, I asked Enfield, I said, look, Big O took four three-pointers for you at USC this past year. He made one. The only three-pointer he made was like a three-quarter court heave. It was the first three-pointer he took all year, Hayden. It was the first one that he made. He missed his final three. Um, but that's not a part of his game. He's not the the stretch five that a lot of teams are looking for nowadays in the NBA. So I asked Enfield about that. I said, look, the modern NBA usually requires big guys unless they're elite rim protectors, elite rebounders, elite screen setters, and, and some of these other skills. Um, the modern NBA requires these big guys to float out to the perimeter. Like That's not something that Big O showed for you at USC. And he said, Chris, no one should draft him to be a stretch five. That's not who he is. That's not where he's best. Teams in the NBA draft have to look at these guys and ask themselves what they can do as opposed to what they can't do. And then focus on the things that they can do and continue to ask them to do that. So if the Cavs are drafting Big O to be a stretch five, they're going to be disappointed. Now, maybe two, three, four years down the road, he develops that part of his game. He continues to be a better ball handler. He continues to be more perimeter-oriented. He's able to knock down outside shots. Maybe that's part of his evolution. But in the first couple of years, that's not who he is. And asking him to be that is going to lead to disappointment. And I thought that was a really, really smart comment. Absolutely. I mean, that's kind of that, you know, that's what development's all about. And you know, he's only 19, I believe. So he's got, you know, he's a little young, as we've talked about, Obi Toppin being 22. You know, I think Colin and those guys are really, you know, still fair. I think, what, is Darius 19? I think he might have turned 20 at some he point. Turned 20. When, he, when he was playing, he was 19, right? Yeah. And Colin's still young, too. So, I mean, he would definitely fit, you know, that kind of development mold at that age. Um, 
you know, but for the Cavaliers specifically, I mean, is there any chance that a five that they would talk, they would, they would talk themselves into drafting big O or is this just something that, you know, he's going to be there and he's going to help somebody out, but maybe not the Cavaliers because they're not the right fit at the right time. They like him. There's no yeah. doubt about that. Kobe Altman, the general manager of the team, um, went to USC's campus, watched a practice, watched a game, was actually talking with Kevin Porter Jr. about it because KPJ played at USC and KPJ throughout the court of the season had been talking up Big O. He said, hey, yeah. Kobe, you know, watch out for Big O. This is a really, really talented guy. The people that I know still at USC are telling me really good things about him. So they went back and forth and talked about Big O. So the Cavs like him. They know all about him. Um, and, and I think he does fit from this standpoint. He can be a defensive presence. He's a switchable big. And he can finish at the rim. In many ways, he's very similar to Tristan Thompson. Those there are the go. things that the Cavs like about Tristan. And, and those are the things that if Tristan walks in free agency the Cavs would need to replace. And then Big O can do those kinds of things. He's also an analytical darling. So if the Cavs are going to allow analytics to play a part in this decision, he's going to get high marks. Um, The problem is, like, I get the sense in talking to a lot of people around the team, and I've been having these conversations. These aren't just recent conversations. These are conversations going back to, like, November about these guys. Um. When I talked about Big O with a lot of people inside the organization, I got the sense that they were lukewarm on him, and and he was kind of on the back end of Tier 2. Tier 2 is Obi, Okoro, Avdia, Vassell. um, Trying to make sure I don't forget any. Oh, Tyrese Halliburton, Killian Hayes. There's like six to seven guys in the mix in Tier 2. Um, and then trying to figure out how to decipher between that tier is really, really difficult because there's so many guys. I just get the sense that a Kongu is kind of on the back end of that, not right. so much the front end. It, and it doesn't make sense to me. I like him more than Toppin. I think he makes more sense than Obi does. But but the sense that I get in talking to people around the organization is that there are legitimate concerns about Onyeka's offensive game and whether he can eventually become that modern big. People have used the Bam Adebayo comparison, and I I think that's too much. Bam was a really, really good passer coming into the NBA draft. He was a really good ball handler coming into the NBA draft. And it's like those perimeter offensive skills aren't there yet for Onyeka. And I think because of that, it leads to more questions about whether they can be in the future. But as you have mentioned... You know, you can, the Cavaliers are of the belief that you can fix the shot. That you can fix That's a, exactly right. You can fix, say, you know, a player's ability but, to but, shoot But basketball. let's say this. Let's say this. Not all big guys are going to be able to shoot threes. You know what I mean? Like, no, correct. You can, right. you can work with them forever. And the Cavs believe in their player development. And they believe in their shooting coaches. But some dudes just aren't going to be able to do it. You know, Andre Drummond is not going to be a three-point shooter. It's just not going to happen for him. Right. Tristan Thompson is just not going to be a three point shooter. It's not going to happen for him. So I'm not saying that's how it is with a Kongu, but but I think we have to be careful when talking about bigs from that standpoint. With guards, it might be a little bit easier because of the form, because of the free throw shooting, things along those lines. With bigs, 
you can't just say, oh, we'll put him in our player development program. We believe in it. We believe in our coaches. He's going to be a good shooter because of us. It doesn't always work that way, unfortunately. Yeah, um, I totally understand that. And it's uh, it's something that I was just thinking about Tristan Thompson specifically. You said that he's definitely not going to be a three point shooter. I think he might. I think he might come at come at you on that one. <laughs> I think he might. I think he believes in himself a little more than you do on that one. <laughs> well, I mean, how many how many Browns or how many Browns how many cast practices have we seen Tristan Thompson working with Larry Nance from the corner? I mean, he's, try, he's trying. He's he's definitely trying. There's no doubt about it, that. Look, man, I tip my hat to him, um, and 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 I know some of the things that he's already become as, as he's been in the NBA. And, and I give him a lot of credit. Like he, some people thought when he came into the NBA, like he's not going to be a guy who ever averages double figures in scoring because he's just not an offensive guy. He's a rebounder. He's a winner. He's a hustler. He's going to do the dirty work, all that kind of stuff. But forget the offense. You're playing four on five with him. Right. And then he proved those people wrong to some degree. He changed which hand he shot with primarily, which you don't see very often in the NBA. So he's already done that. Um, but but I'm going to need a little bit more, Hayden. I'm going to need a little bit more than a career mark of nine made three-pointers in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years. One three-pointer made per year before I start saying, all right, this guy's going to be able to put that as part of his game consistently well maybe this whole during this quarantine he spent all that time in the uh in his indoor court just firing up threes and he's gonna come, out ne- come out next year be in the Cavs uniform or elsewhere and just light it up from deep i could i can see it now just because you said that just because you you doubted him he's gonna come out and prove you wrong <laughs> he's that kind of guy and then he he'll is. tell you about it too. By that, the way, that, that's exactly that's exactly what I'm saying. He will definitely be like, "Oh, I heard what you said," and you know, I spent the whole quarantine shooting threes, and look now, <laughs> now I'm like, I mean, look, junior from out there. <laughs> to his credit, he did shoot 39 percent from three this past year. Now, really, really, really small sample size, and his first made three pointer in an NBA career came this year. By the way, this year, but that's true. But he did shoot 39% from three, which, again, admirable. You tip your cap to a guy like that who's willing to work it uh, and willing to look at how he can evolve his game. Because some guys just get complacent and like, all right, I'm good the way that I am. Yeah. I mean, he's, again, he's he's one of the hardest workers and a guy that really puts a lot of time into his craft, which is why I just had to you know, throw, throw that in there for you, <laughs> saying you can't shoot. Um, you did write a couple of Hey Chris's this week. And. Um, as you mentioned, uh, and we, as the NBA playoffs continue, we are looking at a game seven between the Denver Nuggets Ooh. and the, uh, LA Clippers. Now, wouldn't that be Did something? Did you think if we were Nuggets- going to get there? Do you, I mean, like that, it looked like it was over in game five. Yeah. But then again, the Nuggets have just proven time and time again, you can't doubt them. I know. I mean, Jamal Murray has played his butt off and Michael Porter Jr. is starting yeah. to, you know, come into his own. And I mean, that's one thing I wanted to address is one of your, uh, Hey, Chris columns and you can, always, Oh God, here we go. You can always, <laughs> you, can always Porter Jr. you can always send in your, uh, questions to Hey, Chris, uh, and you should sign up for his subtext, uh, because he does a great job with the subtext, giving you all the analysis 
in all of the um, news that you need before it happens. Again, the subtext is $3.99 a month with a 14-day free trial. And to, to contact Chris, simply, as I try to find the number here, I don't. do you know the number off the top of your head? I do. Yeah. Okay. 216. 216. 208. 208. Uh, hold on. It just refreshed. Uh, 4499. 216-208-4499. Again, 216-208-4499. That is the number to get uh, Chris's subtext. Just text that number, and you will be able to sign up for the 14-day free trial, and then subsequently $3.99 a month. And like I said, that's a way to get your questions into Chris on this podcast, the only way to get your questions into our podcast. And furthermore, um, you can get your questions in for Hey Chris, like I said. So one of the questions in your Hey Chris column, which is now – um, under the um, exclusive tag for this week, um, which means I can't really see it. But the question is, um, do the Cavaliers regret? Wait, hold on. Time out. Time I can time see on. it. I can see it. I just forgot my password. I was going to say. Oh, wait. No, here it is. That's Never mind. Amazing. I got it. I got in. I got in. I don't know. There's something wrong there. I was like, I know my password. So, yes, I get I was, it. Okay. I was going to say, did they keep you out of the mix? Yeah, they, they kicked me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they kicked me out. They don't want me. They don't want me to see any of the exclusive content, um, awesome. which is which is great. No, I am I am in. I can see it now. Okay, so right. the question, the first question is, and it says as follows: Seeing Michael Porter Jr. make big plays on both sides of the floor in the playoffs, doesn't it make drafting Colin Sexton over him a mistake? Do the Cavaliers have any regrets about that decision? Question mark. And it doesn't have a doesn't have a an attribution. I don't believe. So I don't know who sent it in, but still, it's a question. And uh, what are your thoughts? I mean, I get so frustrated by this conversation, Hayden, because, one, people are acting like Colin was a bad pick at eight. Did I miss something? You, Chris, are – no, you did not miss something. But you – I will say that I am, I am definitely not a Colin hater. You are one of the highest on Colin Sexton in the maybe in the social media world that we live in. Um, maybe not in reality, but just from what I can see, you are probably one of the highest people on him. Is that okay. is that not fair? That might be. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's probably the the belief. So that's why that's why I think that you know these questions come about in regards to Michael Borden Jr. Now again, I, no Colin Sexton in my mind was not a bad pick. Um, especially for what they needed, especially for, you know, the way that he, you know, wowed them in workouts and all that stuff. And Michael Porter Jr. definitely had, you know, big injury concerns with that back. Um, right. So, no, I don't think it was a, I don't think it was an issue. I'm just saying I get why the question comes about. OK, so beyond that whole draft stuff and, and we'll get back into that because I sure. went back to my pre-draft notes on Michael Porter Jr. And it just wasn't the back issue. It just wasn't the hip issue. There were other reasons. And by the way, John Ollinger, who was um, an executive with the Memphis Grizzlies, now writes for The Athletic, kind of cryptically pointed out that there were other issues going on with MPJ in response to some of his controversial comments following Game 4, where he basically called out his coach and said that he needed to be more involved, not just Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. But if we just go back to the Colin Sexton Michael Porter Jr. comparison. Like, okay, so I know that Colin is not six foot ten and he doesn't have the same skill set as MPJ. And because of just 
physical attributes, a lot of people would say I'd pick MPJ over Colin. Collins, a scoring guard, MPJ is the kind of versatile big that all teams in the NBA are looking for. He's right. a big man that can rebound, has athleticism, can dribble, and he shoots like a guard. So he's a big guy with guard skills, and those guys are rare to find. So if you're somebody that's just always going to lean on that, okay, that's fine. That's how you feel about it. You're always going to lean on those kinds of guys instead of guards. And some people are like that, Hayden, and I get yep. it. But Colin Sexton just finished year two leading the Cavs in scoring with 20.8 points, 47.2% from the field, and 38% from three-point range. Uh, he was one of 27 players in the NBA to average 20 points this season. He was named a rising star. He has scored double figures in 135 of 147 NBA games. Uh, he was the third player in franchise history, joining LeBron and Kyrie, by the way, to score 40 points or more in a game before his 22nd birthday. And he has never missed a game in his NBA career. So, yeah, there are questions about Colin, the player. Uh, there are questions about his fit next to Darius Garland. There are questions about what Colin is going to be into the future. But if I were to give you that on a blank canvas and just said that's player A, right, and then do the same thing with player B, not telling you who it was, and lay out all of this stuff with Michael Porter Jr., you're taking player A every single time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. So like, um, and I think it also benefits Michael Porter Jr. That I mean, he's just the the team around him is so much better than what the Cavs have. Of course. Like so, so maybe if he's in Cleveland, he's not necessarily doing what he's doing with the, with the Nuggets. I mean, you know, the Nuggets. So you look at Jokic, you look at, um, you look at obviously Jamal Murray. I mean, they have a lot of talent, and I mean uh, enough talent to make to push the you know Los Angeles Clippers a Game Seven of the Eastern Conference semi or Western Conference semis. So, I mean, it's not like the Cavs picked Jerome Robinson over Michael Porter Jr. The way that the Los Angeles Clippers did, by the way, Jerome Robinson, who was traded in a three-team deal that brought Mike Marcus Morris Sr. to the Clippers and now is, like, averaging nine points per game with the Washington Wizards and who knows what his future is going to be in Washington. The Cavs didn't draft that over MPJ. They drafted a guy who made the rising stars. They drafted a guy who is averaging 20 points per game in year two. They drafted a guy who there are no questions about his attitude, his work ethic, his determination, whether he's a likable teammate, whether he's coachable, whether he has any kind of injury problems that you feel like is going to shorten his career. You know what I mean? Like, there aren't too many questions from that standpoint about Colin Sexton, the way that there are with Michael Porter Jr., and the other thing that bothers me, Hayden, is like people are pretending that Michael Porter Jr. is like this star of the bubble. And right. yes, in, in the seeding games, he was really, really good. And he made one of the all bubble teams. But it's like if we take Friday night, a must win game five, just as one example, he went Michael Porter Jr. went scoreless through three quarters. And then he happened to bury a cold-blooded three-pointer that put the Nuggets ahead by five. Like, 
he is at this point in time, and again, I like him. I think he's a really talented player. But at this point in time, if we're being fair, he's like the ultimate highlight player. He does these great things that show up in highlights. But if you actually watch the game and watch the impact that he has, there is no consistency there. Yeah, that's true. So, like, I mean, he makes all these baffling plays that make you shake your head for like 46 minutes throughout the course of a game. And then all of a sudden he makes these incredible highlight reel plays in the final two minutes. And you're like, Oh, there's a future star. There's a guy who's going to be a scoring champion. It's like, I don't know. It's almost, it's almost recency bias. And it's to me, it's not, it's not like, looking at him from the proper perspective it's getting caught up in the wow moments too much i can hear that i can definitely hear that and and that doesn't even take into account hayden think about this that doesn't even take into account the stuff that has happened off the floor he leaked the commissioner's cell phone number his tweets about george floyd that drew criticism he said coronavirus was being used as population control it led to the nuggets having to talk to him and it led to Snapchat having to take those comments down. And then he criticized his coach as a rookie following game four of the Western Conference semifinals. Uh, that's exactly what I was just going to mention. You, you know, you posted a couple of tweets here from Larry Nance Jr., from Damian Lillard, some, you know, some pretty hard invests in the NBA. And Lillard said SMDH, shaking my head. And uh, Larry yep. Nance said basically openly to, to openly criticize your head coach in the playoffs as a rookie. Like, quite, like with a bunch of exclamation points, I mean, you know, you're right. There's definitely been a lot there in terms of his off the floor, um, off the floor stuff. And you mentioned the John Hollinger. Yeah, this tweet right here. How do I put this gently? Medical was by far the main reason he fell in the draft. It might not have been the only reason. So right. you mentioned that. And then certainly there was a lot more than just the back issue. And this is I went back to my pre-draft notes from sources on MPJ because I really thought, Hayden, I really thought he was going to be the Cavs pick at number eight. Yeah. Um, I think it was the day before the draft. I thought it was going to be him. And then the next day, the day of the draft, I started to get the vibe that it was going to be Colin. Um, but these were my pre-draft notes. And, and I think the hilarious thing about this is in some ways you have seen all of this with MPJ, incredible talent, versatile, scorer's mindset, can get buckets at all three levels, significant injury risk, not just the hip and back, but family has a history of knee injuries. Will that happen with him as well? Not the best teammate, coachable question mark, immature. Yeah, I think you've seen all of that. I definitely think you've seen all of that in just one season, or I mean, yeah, because he was hurt last year. So just in in right. less than one season, in, in yeah. fifty five games or whatever it is. So I I, I agree. I, I and I think the thing that with Colin too is that he's just so you know everything that MPJ is not in terms of consistency, in terms of off the court. You know that's what Colin is, and I think the Cavaliers were definitely at that point and still um, looking for more of a culture fit. Um, you know, a guy to kind of change to establish the culture in Cleveland. And that's certainly what they wanted. And I think Colin fits much more to what they were looking for than MPJ. And you know what? Like, to be honest with you, I, I think the Cavs were looking for security, too. So the the pick that they had, the eighth overall pick, uh, one, it was the centerpiece of the Kyrie Irving trade. And two, 
it was supposed to be the pick that kind of jump-started the rebuild. Um, and I think because of that, they wanted somebody that was, quote-unquote, more safe. And yeah. it would have been very, very risky for a team like the Cavs in that situation um, to take somebody who was coming off a microdisectomy. Like, dudes yeah. his age do not have that surgery. They don't. Yeah. They don't have microdisectomies at 19 years old. Then they don't have a second spinal surgery one year after that. It's just not common. So there, there are different teams in different situations inside the lottery. And I think the team that made the most sense for him was the team that took him. The Denver yeah. Nuggets didn't need him right away, right. right? They were a team that had a foundation piece in Jokic, and they already had Jamal Murray, who they really, really liked. And they felt like there was nobody that we can get at number 14 that we absolutely need to have that's going to help us this particular year because of the situation we're in, because of the great drafting that we had done recently, because of some of the other draft picks that we already have on this roster, because of our salary cap situation, like all those different things, we can take a risk that the Los Angeles Clippers felt like they couldn't or uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers felt like they couldn't. So not every team is in the same situation just because they're all quote unquote lottery teams, even right. going into this year's draft. I think that's um, really important to remember. Um, not every team that's in the lottery is in the same situation as the Cavs, right? Not every team that's nope. in the lottery is in the same situation as the Charlotte Hornets and the direction that they go in the draft is oftentimes tied to the situation that they feel like the organization is in and the kinds of players that they feel like they need both in the short term and the long term. And by the way, like long term, I'm not convinced just based on one year of Michael Porter Jr., based on what I've seen, that long term he's going to be a better basketball player than Colin Sexton. Maybe a better fit than Colin would be with a team that has Darius Garland, and that's something that the Cavs have to figure out. But in terms of just like, a basketball player like what Colin has done in his first two years puts him on a trajectory that's similar to Jamal Murray. It puts him on a trajectory that's similar to Bradley Beal and D'Angelo Russell. And I'm not saying that he's going to be those guys, but that's what he's done in year two. So if you're projecting where he is right now and where he can go, I feel more comfortable doing that with Colin than I would with MPJ. Right. And again, it's something that we're going to have to look at, as you said, down the road. I mean, this is MPJ's first season, and yeah. it's obviously been a crazy season, a shortened season with the, you know, with the bubble and everything. So it's just going to be something that down the line we'll keep an eye on. But even then, I mean, I don't think the Cavaliers regret it because I think, you know, that's the guy that Colin is what they wanted off the floor. He's what they wanted on the floor. You know, he's what they wanted to restart the rebuild. I don't think, you know, they were in a position to just wait for a guy like Michael Porter Jr., especially with all the red flags that they had. Yeah. That he had. Absolutely. Right. Right. Um, all right. So, you know, as we continue here in the off season, we'll, you know, continue to discuss multiple, um, Draft prospects as, as that grows near, more near. Um, are you planning to talk to any other coaches in the near future? That seems to be the path that you're on in regards to, you know, getting ready for the draft. Yeah, I mean, that's where my focus is. Again, the Cavs are starting um, 
I don't know, what are we calling it? The bubble? The second bubble? Second bubble, yeah. <laughs> Summer minicamp, fall minicamp. I don't sure. even know what we're calling this thing. They are starting this today. Um, yeah. Practices are going to be held in two phases. The first session, phase A, is scheduled to take place today through the 20th. It's about individual voluntary workouts. Um, then like phase B is the bigger deal because it can be more intense. It can be more game-like. It can be five on five scrimmaging. Um, and then maybe that's where we're going to start to get more information about some of these guys, how they look, uh, and maybe even get an opportunity to talk to some of the players about how beneficial this sort of thing is. So that's, that's the other area where I'm probably going to be focusing. Good. Good, absolutely. Meanwhile, I'll be mired in uh, whatever comes of this Brown season as we continue to move <laughs> forward, and whatever and whatever continues to happen with this Indian season that was looking good, and now is yeah. just all of a sudden the wheels are coming off. I, right. I don't know what has happened there. I mean, you know, you're as much a baseball fan as anybody, so it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, obviously they're off today, which is good, and uh, maybe they'll get it to going uh, tomorrow, but. In the meantime, Chris, if there's nothing else, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you as always. And um, like I said, if you need any, if, if anything else comes up in the next like 30 seconds, be sure to drop it. But until then, um, <laughs> until then, thank you for joining the Wine and Gold Talk podcast, everybody. Um, we're going to try to get back on the normal Monday afternoon schedule so we can continue to pump, pump these out on Mondays. So be sure to look out next Monday as we'll have another episode for you. And it won't be, it definitely will not be a Browns victory Monday and it won't be a Browns loss Monday either because they play on Thursday this week. So we won't even have to address the Browns if we don't have to. Great. Um, Great. Perfect. That's much better. Perfect. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. Take care. We will talk to you next week.